1: Well, a story now of anxiety getting in the way of trying to be a good parent. And the American author and dad, Kevin Wilson, is our guest. In his quirky new novel, Nothing to See Here, childhood friend Madison asks Lillian to be a governess to her strangely afflicted 10-year-old twin stepchildren, Bessie and Roland, who have a tendency to overheat and burst into flames. It should be said the flames don't hurt the twins, but they singe people and things nearby. Using spontaneous human combustion as a metaphor for parenting with anxiety, Kevin says it's a feeling of waiting for something or someone to burst into flames at any minute. Kevin's been dogged by anxiety throughout his life and the prospect of parenthood petrified him. How could he look after a small child if uh, he couldn't look after himself? But as it turned out, becoming a dad surprised kevin to discuss the novel and his own experience he's with us now Uh, welcome thanks so much for your time kevin
2: oh thanks so much for having me
1: clearly there's a personal driver in this story but it is a captivating story in its own right could you please tell our listeners a little more of the friendship of madison and lillian and then a little more about what happens years later
2: Oh, yeah, sure. So um Lillian and Madison uh, met in high school at a, a a pretty fancy uh private girls school, and Lillian um uh, comes from very little money, very little privilege, whereas madison is is rich and incredibly privileged, but they form a friendship partly because they're they're both so strange and they can appreciate each other um but a kind of betrayal um changes the trajectory of Lillian's life. She's kicked out of school. And though they stay in touch, um, their lives go in completely different directions. And Lillian is really adrift until she gets a a letter um, from Madison asking her to to take on this job to be a nanny um, to, to Madison's uh, stepchildren, uh, and that's how they, they come back together. Uh, and, and, you know, it's no surprise that the book itself has a, has a on the cover is a child bursting into flames, a little cartoon. Uh, the children, when they're agitated, burst into flames. So this becomes uh, Lillian's job, right, to, to keep them safe, but, but more importantly, uh, to keep Madison and her husband, who, who is a senator, uh, from attracting any attention.
1: A lot to work through in the story, a lot of lessons to take from the story, and we'll and we'll do that as we go. Uh, but Kevin, is this the most personal novel for you in some ways? Is this the most personal exploration of something that has been part of your your life?
2: I think so. I mean, I think I've since I was little, I've struggled with anxiety. It's just constant um and and actually spontaneous human combustion. Uh, bursting into flames was was one of my anxieties uh, from from the time that I was 10 on um and so i i've always had this fear that there was something inside of me that was gonna not just destroy myself but destroy the people around me um and so when my wife and i got married and we decided to have kids um that became this huge crisis for me was was how was i going to take care of children when I couldn't take care of myself. And uh, Lillian, in so many ways, is, is a way for me to try to work through those anxieties. How, how do you protect someone who's vulnerable? How do you love someone when you yourself feel like you're not capable of, of, um, of being loved or, or being able to take care of yourself?
1: They are questions that every parent, to one extent or another, will ask him or herself. But just to explore a little bit more your understanding of your own uh, anxiety, it was actually you actually got a diagnosis at some point of a kind of Tourette syndrome, and I wonder if you could explain a little bit more about how you would have these flashes of um, almost catastrophizing, and what you've learned about uh, what you've lived with and and learned to live with. Sure
2: so yeah I have I was diagnosed as an adult with Tourette's although so many of the symptoms were prevalent earlier in my life and and one of the things is um the way that my brain works is um I'm I'm a deeply obsessive person and a lot of times images uh get stuck in my head and they'll recur they'll flash without warning um, and one of those things is, is a person bursting into flames. Um, and it's um, it's so shocking when it comes. I'm not prepared usually for those images, even though they happen again and again on a loop. Um, that for me, writing is a way for me to try to figure out how to process um, these images. And so, for instance, you know, this image I always have of a person bursting into flames. It's not pleasant. It's um, it's a little scary. And so when I wrote this book and I knew I was going to have these children that burst into flames, one of the things that I try to do in my writing is I knew those children would absolutely not be harmed by the flames. They were impervious to it. And a lot of times my writing is trying to take those those strange obsessions, those things that make me anxious, and try to figure out how to kind of place them in fiction so that I can deal with them.
1: Gives you a sense of control over them in some ways because you are the author, quite literally the author of what happens.
2: Yeah, I mean, as I'm trying to get the characters to a better place, um, in some ways, the story is teaching me ha- how, to, how to make my own way towards that better place.
1: Let's talk about the um, the lessons you've learned, I guess, becoming a parent and how this, whatever someone, whatever doubt someone is experiencing or insecurity someone's are experiencing or straight out anxiety someone's ex- experiencing, wh- what you've learned. Um, you're, you're fascinated by the relationship between parents and children, the, the imperfection and the vulnerabilities of one human being taking on responsibility for another. I mean, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? It's a, an enormous leap of faith.
2: <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. And I think what having children has taught me and also writing about that those relationships is what I didn't fully understand is... Um, you know, it's our job. I I don't think it's just parents and children, but I think it's our job in this world, whatever comes next, I don't know. But I think it's our job to get everybody safely to that next thing, to do everything we can to protect each other so that we all make it safely to whatever comes next. And in your head, you think, oh, well, of course, obviously, we should protect people who are vulnerable. And that's altruistic. And it sounds really lovely. But I think what if it was that easy, then we wouldn't have problems, right? What's difficult is that all of us have our own strange hangups. We have our own anxieties. And as we try to help or protect other people, uh, the strangeness of our own lives complicate that. And, and what I've learned is that there isn't a perfect way to take care of someone. There isn't a perfect relationship. And what you have to do is accept the fact that You have to make yourself vulnerable to protect the people that you love, and you have to be willing to take the pain that comes with that. And you also, for me as a parent, what I had to come to terms with was um, I was going to unintentionally do things that hurt my children, that the decisions that I made, I would sometimes mess up. And and that didn't mean that I didn't love them, and it didn't mean that I wasn't a good parent. It just meant that if you're willing to be vulnerable and protect someone, you're going to make mistakes sometimes.
1: That is the nature of any relationship. The flip side of loving is, is the hurting, and we all have to reconcile ourselves to that, I guess. But it is particularly acute with children. You you reframed how it should be in some ways. You reframed the idea of the strong protecting the weak, and that freed you. <clears throat>
2: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Madison and her husband are incredibly powerful people. They're incredibly privileged people. And and as I wrote this book, and, and as I look around at the world around me, it seems that um the people who are most in a position to protect the vulnerable, and it's not to say that I don't understand it, but I think they're a little uh, terrified of vulnerability. I think they're repulsed a little bit by people who need so much. And and so the response for Madison and Jasper are to build walls to protect themselves, and it's Lillian who comes from nothing, who's willing to walk right into the fire and know that she's going to get hurt because that's what it takes to protect these kids.
1: In introducing Lillian when she's first offered the job of governess, so you outline some of the new, the big anxieties new parents have about bringing up kids, and it's the most basic, fundamental stuff when you're doing it for the first time
2: it is i mean i i when we my wife i i knew wanted to have a child and i remember i was trying to find any reason not to and i remember going to my therapist and i said you know diapers are just so expensive and and she just kind of laughed and she said you if, if that is your major worry, I, th- I think you're going to be okay. You know, like, I think there are larger issues that you're going to come into contact with. So, And I found that out pretty quickly, that, that it goes way beyond those kind of initial concerns.
1: You also, I guess, bring through your characters some different parenting styles, one being competitive and overprotective, uh, the other quite the opposite of an anxious uh, parent. At least at the start, almost seems like she doesn't care. Um hmm. And does this come back to your point earlier? There's no right and there's no wrong way. What What did you want to explore through these different characters and their different styles?
2: I just, I was trying to get at some idea of, well, in some ways we survive those things. You know, we we, we come through yeah. it and we may be damaged by them, but I'm not certain what the perfect way is. Um and as I'm taking care of my own children and my, my oldest son, who really also struggles with anxiety, um, you'd think that I would be perfectly prepared to handle that, but I'm not. His anxiety is different than mine. And what I have to remind myself over and over again is, is to kind of accept that he is not me, you know, and the things that I need are not exactly the things that he needs. Um, and that's just the imperfection of parenting, of, of caring for someone
1: a lovely text that's just come in my partner suffers from anxiety day to day and wasn't supported when he was growing up as his family had no concept of anxiety now in our 50s with teenage children we're able to better understand supporting and teaching them how to deal with their insecurities and anxieties as they grow so they'll be less Mm. impacted by it in their lives it's hard 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 though but watching my partner and kids becoming uh, well more often through this is magic it's part of Mm. what you've done here isn't it is to put it all out there and for a long time we didn't put this kind of feeling out there we were stoic we were staunch yeah
2: i i mean when i grew up um you know i was a teenager in the 90s um to think that anxiety or mental instability you know that i was you know medicated and seeing a therapist um that that to me was the worst thing that could possibly happen and and one of the most reassuring things about my own children, is it's not just my kids, it's its how open his friends are. It's how open this generation is about the way that they feel and what they need. And to me, Griff, my son, is anxious, but it's not a source of shame for him. And that makes me so happy that it doesn't erase the anxiety, but being able to talk about it, to have other people that support you is is so important.
1: The spontaneous combustion is obviously a metaphor, but as you have said, it is something that almost obsessed you. It's, it's funny, I saw you um, refer to where you first read about it in childhood, and I remember reading about it in childhood, and some I can still see the cover of the book, but I, I um, <laughs> can't recall what it was now. But it, it is startling, this concept that, that, a, that a human being could just be standing somewhere or sleeping somewhere and, and, and combust. Um, do we... All these decades on, do we know more about it and whether it actually happens or whether it is just one of those uh, areas of um, almost mythology um, that would be written about from from time to time? What do we know about it?
2: Yeah, I mean, mean, sometimes in some ways I'm really, um, I kind of rejoice in the fact that I grew up in the 80s and 90s before I had access to every bit of information in the world because that mystery of spontaneous human combustion was partly based on the fact that I could only find like one or two paragraphs in a library book. Um, that made it more mysterious. And and now, as I read on the internet, of, of course, this this doesn't really seem possible. It's it's really just a myth, you know. Um, or or it's just a lot um, less magical than what we might think. It's it's really just someone catching on fire, um, because of a spark. And so that's less interesting to me. I, I would rather be a little afraid of the magic of it than have it ruined.
1: And it is metaphorical, as we said, important to you, as you said, that the, the, their spontaneous combustion does not hurt the children, but it does singe those around them. And in what way does that happen? In what way um, is that part of what you're trying to convey here?
2: Well, th- I think for me, especially when I look back um you know I had a nervous breakdown um, a few years after i'd been married. It was my wife and i and, and I had to be hospitalized and and one of the things I think about a lot was um, was how little in those moments I was just kind of feral like it, it i didn 't care or couldn 't understand anyone else around me that all I could focus on was 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 what I felt in my brain and how it was failing me. Um, and so I know that I unintentionally made people, uh, scared, you know, I made people worry for me in ways that I wish they didn't have to. And, and in so many ways, no matter what happened to me, there are times that what I feel worse about is, is that feeling of, of, um, of worry on the part of the people who love me, that it might happen again, that it, that it might come back, you know, and, and I can't, protect them from that.
1: So the innocence of the children here represents your own feeling uh, you were innocent, you were sick, but you, that didn't stop you from feeling like you were singeing others.
2: Right, exactly. And and I think that's in a lot of ways, again, it goes back to altruism and what we want to believe that, that you know, we want to help other people who are in need. But I think in a lot of ways, sometimes when we want to do those altruistic things, we want the person to appreciate it, um, to, to thank us. And most of the time, people that really deeply need that kind of altruism, they're in no position to recognize or thank. You know, it's just something you do because it's what's going to keep them safe. And, and I think about that a lot with me was just I wasn't capable of understanding how many people were keeping me from going under.
1: Your writing continuously returns, it seems, to compassionately exploring the human condition, to compassionately exploring the complexities of families and this idea that something's good or something bad, uh, something's bad. Um, (laughs) But you do it with humour. And I'm curious, talking to Elizabeth Strout earlier, uh, about mm-hmm. her books, all of Kitteridge books. One thing we probably didn't get into was just how much humour is uh, threaded throughout even some of the most kind of, um, what's the word, you know, um, galling moments or cringing mm-hmm. moments. And for you, do you return to humour again as as the safe way to explore the imperfections of who we are and who our families are?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think, I think one of it is that I have a s- kind of skewed sense of humor. And, and what I've always believed is that the line between sadness and humor is really thin. It's so permeable, and they mix together so well. And, and also, just the way that I write is that I, I am a little afraid to write seriously sometimes, that the way that I deal with deeper, darker issues is that I start with lightness. And if I can get the reader... To laugh, if I can get them to feel a little bit of that absurdity, little by little, I can turn it down, and and get to something that's real, something that's that's um, that's a little darker uh, or a little heavier. But I can't do it right from the start. I've got to kind of move slowly.
1: Kevin, given, um, given the intensity of the anxiety that you described and your fear of parenting, one's left wondering, could you have missed the joys of it? Could you have missed out on it? And it's taken courage to do it anyway.
2: I don't know that it was courage. I think in some ways I just, um, there was a point, there's a point where if you love someone and you want to extend Expand your life, you want to stretch out so that you can remember that there are good things in the world. This is what you do. And it's not just about having children. And for instance, one of the things I really wanted to do with this story is that Lillian is not their mother, right? She didn't give birth to these children. It's not necessarily just that, oh, you should have children and you'll become a better person. To my mind, what it is is that the more, no matter how terrified you are of the world, the more you open yourself up to it. The more possibility there is for magic, the more opportunity there is to not just save yourself, but to save someone else. So, yeah, I know that I would have missed so much. I would be a hermit. I would never leave the hole in the ground that I would dig for myself if I hadn't expanded and opened my world to these children.
1: Kevin, thank you so much. Kevin Wilson, the latest book is nothing to see here. Uh, He's also the author of uh, several other books, including The Family Fang.